Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Product-Led Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about how to turn your signups into revenue. And I have here a very awesome guest who is the CEO of Calixta. And so Thomas is here. He has got a ton of experience. Uh, he's one of the first product managers at Twilio and has uh, really seen from beginning to end, like what are some of those things you could do to really build that product-led sales motion from the very early days? How do you think about it? How do you operationalize it? And all those many things. So Thomas, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Wes. Great to be here. Likewise. And so could you just share a little bit about like your why behind this? Because <laughs> why would you consider, you know, even founding a product sales platform? Curious. Yeah, for sure. Idea. Yeah. So I think my exposure to this goes back to uh, 2010 when I joined uh, Twilio. We were about 15 people at the time. And at the time, we had hundreds of developers signing up every month, which became thousands of developers signing up every month, which eventually became hundreds of thousands. And the reality is a lot of what we we're trying to do is, you know, trying to do some of those traditional top-down sales motion, but we had these developers just signing up and trying to use, use the product and paying. And it became quickly kind of became clear, like we needed to sell into our existing base. The people who are actually using the product and trying to get some value out of it. So we ended up building tooling around that. And it was tooling to give visibility about who the customer was and what they were doing. It's just this combination of who the user and their activities. And then it became super clear that the sales team just started selling in into the self-serve funnel, finding those accounts. And the best thing is they would find them, they'd close them, and then they would also grow them with this data. And what became so powerful is, you know, developers in, in general are sort of skeptical of talking to sales. I mean, most people are skeptical of talking to sales. I think sales is great. But what we did with the tool by giving that our salespeople the ability to understand what the accounts were doing, they got to tailor their communication to them. And so I have like really relevant messages at key points in their life cycle. And so that unlock was amazing. And then we saw as we grew the business that more and more figuring out what are those different types of patterns, uh, maybe what we now called PQLs, the product qualified leads, what are the different uh, natures of, of those signups that we want to be going out to after? And what kind of plays do we want to run against them? And so that was just like a huge mindset shift. And I think really interesting in that time when, when we saw more traditional sales leaders come into the company, they were kind of dumbfounded by like, what's going on? Oh, this is, I kid you not, somebody said, this is not real sales. And it was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, these people are coming in, they want to use your product and you're helping them get successful. And you're, that's not real. I was like, I don't understand. It's a different type of sales. Yeah. You know, it turns out somebody with that mindset is not going to work at a company like Twilio. And he eventually had to be long. Yeah. Somebody, somebody <laughs> has to come in and say, yeah, top down enterprise sales. Great. Totally makes sense. We're going to have that motion, yeah. but there are other motions. And so if you have this large inbound funnel, you're going to need something like that. So that's sort of my, you know, the founding story of me and why I'm so passionate about that. Totally. Why I want to build this is I left Twilio and I found like, oh shit, most companies don't use their internal engineers to build a great system like this. Yeah. Oh crap. Okay. There's potential here to do that. And so I basically want to, you know, talking to more and more companies about the ones as they scale, end up having to like kludge together a CRM, a BI tool, have data engineers. It's just unmanageable, not where you want to be spending your resources. So I really said, Hey, there's a time to build a platform for all these companies that are scaling to be able to easily enable a, a product led sales motion. For sure. And so let's go to that example. Like you were seeing like hundreds of developers and eventually like thousands of developers signing up for the product. And then like, at what point were you like, you know what, this is getting unbearable or whatever, or like sales are just like hunting all of these 
developers. They don't have a system or any way to prioritize like where to invest their time. Where was that like pain point? Yeah, tell me more about it. Yeah, I think the the train is a rough framework. I have is sort of like how much can somebody keep in your head? And so I think it's somewhere in between the hundreds to thousands transition. I don't have the exact number for you, but you got to think like in a given day, how much could you process and talk through? Number one. Number two, when you think of sort of the product-led sales motion, like you may have those signups every day, but when they sort of got that aha and want to start using it, that could happen today or could happen Mm -hmm. 90 days from now. So you're actually building a pool of accounts that you want to be prospecting in. So it's both important how many per day as well as when you think about it, well, you're nurturing them and growing up. So it's almost per month. Like, hey, when you're in the thousands per month, no human can keep those in their head, figure out what matters. You're going to need a qualification process. You're going to need to prioritize them based on what they're doing with the product and sort of like their customer fit. And and I think that that, that's how you kind of start thinking of it. Definitely when you have thousands of signups per month, you need to start really having a system and a process in place. Yeah. What might be some of those symptoms that people would be having when they start to see like, okay, this is really truly becoming a big issue. Like, is it like, oh my goodness, the salesperson looks like they're about to blow up. Like, well, <laughs> they're just it, overwhelmed. It's it, it just overwhelmed. Like keeping yeah. track of things in your head. You're also like missing opportunities, totally. right? If somebody like, in some ways, if somebody's raising your hand, if they're, their hand, yeah. you probably miss an opportunity to talk to them before that. The other thing you to think about is, there are probably a bunch of people didn't raise their hand. And now in sort of the more competitive market of, of B2B SaaS, where there are probably five products for everything, you know, five competitors for everything you're selling. Mm-hmm. What if they, you know, somebody else drove them in into their other product? So I think there's some symptoms could be like one stress, like I can't keep this <laughs> track of my head too. Yeah. And some way hand raisers are a symptom of they're asking to speak to you before you've gotten a chance to add some value and coach them along. I think the real key thing for any of this motion, though, is setting the right bar because you, you don't want to talk to everyone. Not everyone is worth the sales conversation. In the reality is not everyone's going to be able to pay you enough per month that you want to have a sales conversation with them. You yeah. you know, some should be just should be on self-serve and have support at scale. So you have to be really careful if you're having lots of like individual sign up, you still might not be ready for a product led sales motion because you really want to do it when sort of the business use case becomes so overwhelming and you can't filter out those individual users that you really need to stay on top of them. So if you were to say to someone who's like thinking like, okay, I'm going to like spin up this product-led sales motion and like this is at the right point, what would that company like look like? Obviously, it's going to be different by like number of users and stuff like that because like not every user was created equal. Some of them are like high value. Others are just, you know, free. So how do you kind of say like at this point, generally speaking, you would be ready to, to spin up a product that sales motion? Yeah, I think so to me first is like, I first think like, how would you test a product that sales motion? Because yeah, yeah. don't don't spin up a full thing until you've sort of tested out. And that's what we found at, at Twilio is sort of let's start with a thesis test that, okay, let's define what a PQL is. Great. Well, let's prioritize those users. And then let's try to have sales conversations with them. So I think, you know, definitely when you can keep a person for this test, whether you know one person fully allocated to this, then if you can get them enough leads to have enough of those conversations, and oftentimes, like you know, you do take an existing person and say half the time is this, half the time is that, right? And if yeah. you if you can find out that it's converting to more things, that rep will actually that person will end up uh, you spending more of their time with yeah. the inbound ones because those you know those are going to move along. Yeah, no, 
was working with this one company there in Brazil, uh, RD Summit, and they were initially spinning up something very similar where it's like, okay, they're going to test out this product at sales motion. And basically what they ended up doing is they took their very best salesperson. <laughs> they're like, hey, we have this new exciting problem for you. We've never closed anyone on this, but uh, we're going to send you these PQLs and guess what? You're going to figure out how to convert them. And it was really smart because then that person ended up being the team lead, teaching all the other kind of people how to like really assist some of these product qualified leads and build up that PLS motion. But no, I like it. So no, no, you raised a good point there, like that specialization, because it's a different type of sales. It's consultative. Different salespeople will will perform differently. Some should be in that consultative sales process. Some should be enterprise. Um, and I we, I saw that like very differently for different reps who perform very differently because yeah. some are just sort of naturally attuned. And I like this notion of like uh, one rep who's really good at this this motion, coined the term like instead of always always be closing, always be helping because almost yeah. like, you know by helping them getting to the aha moment, the goal, you're gonna mm-hmm. close them. The product's gonna do that, you know, but you need to get them there, and they need to sort of get trust in you, and then then you're gonna be able to close them. I love that distinction. I wrote it down. Always be helping versus always be serving or selling or closing. Yeah. Closing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So when you're like setting up this test for this PLS motion, I love the the emphasis on like just test it, start small, have one person like going through this. What are some of those other things that you need to do to really set up a test for success? I imagine like there's got to be some layer of like prioritization, but curious, what else do you need to set up that successful test? Yeah, so I think the successful test, especially like, depends on how early the company is, but there's going to be a fair bit of figuring it out. So you can prioritize the people, you can find the PQLs, you can prioritize them, but what are you going to do with them? What is the nature of conversation, right? They're using your product. They might be able to, you know, buy a bigger tier by themselves, Mm -hmm. but then you have to start thinking about like, okay, why would they want to have a conversation to me? Do I have a package or plan to sell them such that it's even worth my time? Because if I talk to them, and try to sell them on a higher plan, but there's no value to them. Yeah. Maybe your pricing and plans are just not in the right place. So that's why, you know, early on in a company's life, I sort of like your pricing is kind of always in flux. It's always kind of testing it. But in particular for this product that sales motion, if you don't have something for the rep to sell and for the customer to buy, it's going to be really hard because the customer's like, why are you talking to me? What are you unlocking for me? Uh, it could just be like a product specialist, but that's kind of like a different type of thing. I think you need the rep to have something to sell like the enterprise plan. So you see that a lot today is like people have like individual team or like, you know, starter pro enterprise and basically pro to enterprise or some key features that they know that that's what the rep is selling and that's what the customer is buying. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have something to buy, your test is going to be a failure. But I think the key thing is really having somebody who's going to figure it out. Cause like, why are they going to talk to me and what am I going to sell them? Okay. Yeah. No, I'm trying to like put together a, like a few step process at a high level of like what someone would need to do to really like turn signups into revenue here. And like, I think we might have missed one, which is like just vetting, should you do this? Like, what are some of those requirements and prerequisites? Because you mentioned one where it's like, does it make sense what you're selling? If you're selling a $20 product and it's like, that's the cap, yeah. totally like doesn't make sense don't try it for the most part but if it's like slack and it's 20 dollars per user and it's <laughs> we're gonna have like fortune 500 yeah. uh, it's like absolutely like that thing can scale up quite yeah. lucratively uh which is amazing so like can you tell us a little bit about like what are some of those other like prerequisites you might want to think about yeah. if you're really going to say like yeah this is really going to work for you or yeah. don't even think about it so 
for many product-led companies, the first sell is like the first of many sells to that one to yeah. that company, right? And so these companies are prioritized speed to first dollar because they know over time the actual revenue they're trying to get is most of it is way past dollar one. And so mm-hmm. you have to look at your product and say, hey, when I sell it into an organization, what's the chance for it to spread across teams, across department? or to grow with the company as it scales. Mm-hmm. So if your product does not have those qualities, it's you know less well suited for sort of a, a product-led sales motion. So I, I think, because I think so much of the return on the, the sales investment yeah. is recouped over year one, year two, year three, getting that growth with the customer. If you're selling a single SKU that it's just gonna sort of, it's less meaningful. And then, you know, your cap value. So, hey, maybe it's a way to accelerate revenue, accelerate the sale process. But I think there are other dynamics that make for really successful product-led companies is how does that product grow within an organization? How much that first sale is the beachhead into right. the organization? So yeah, would you say it's fair? Like if you have a really great like land expand expansion model and hopefully like a substantial LTV, this is going to be a good fit for you? Or would there still be other kind of like things you would still be like, yeah, this and that would still be very important for this. Well, I mean, the thing is like, how easily can it be adopted without the help of the company selling it, right? The beauty of the best product-led companies is the users just invite their teammates or other companies and they just start using it. So if there's any sort of like, you know, requires onboarding and processes and they can't do it themselves, again, these are all the qualities of your product that that need to be in place for you to be successful because otherwise... That product-led flywheel is just not going to happen. So it's sort of the ease of use of the software and the ease of onboarding of those additional users, those additional teams. If it's hard, if it requires manual intervention from a company, yeah. if you block their progress, that's going to stunt your sale. Totally. Okay. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I imagine as well, like having that pricing model that has either like value-based or usage-based pricing would naturally allude to a lot of that growth over time too, if it does expand naturally. Yeah, you naturally, yeah. You need a pricing model that yeah. captures that, that upside. Totally. You also, like, the cool thing is you see something like Loom, like you also have like, there are challenges where like different people are getting different value out of the product, right? Not everyone gets the same value. Like there's some in Loom, yeah. a bunch of people who are consuming it within your company and there are others who are producers. And so they charge consumers and producer consumers differently. And so really like having the pricing, the needs of the company so they don't get turned away. So as it scales, they feel like, hey, these are the set of capabilities for this part of the users. These are capabilities for other parts of the users. And that really helps it, really helps like the, align the value and the price together. So you have, to, you have to think about that as well. Okay, awesome. So to like vet the PLS motion, I, I kind of like recap three things here. Yep. Make sure you have like that pricing model that's, uh, definitely grows with the usage or the value of however they're using it to like really make sure you got that expansion model dialed in so that it does grow over time. That can be done with pricing, but it obviously can be done different ways as well yeah. uh, if you have other products. And then three is really make sure that you have the value like equation works out for the salesperson. Like it has to be worth it for them to really go through that whole motion. Now back to testing this motion. Can you talk a little bit about like how you know, once someone is at that stage where there's like, you know, thousands of people signing up for the product, that salesperson's getting a bit overwhelmed because there's just way too much. Their things are getting dropped. How do you like, what's the first layer of like, I'm going to prioritize this and this is how I do it? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess initially, yeah, you're talking to everyone, Uh, you know, obviously the priority then becomes sort of like some function of how big could this get? And so that really looks at 
So the two components, how much is somebody using it? And then how much is a customer fit? Somebody can be using your product intensely, but they might not value it enough to like pay the higher tiers. And so then if you need to put a, a filter and a focus such that reps that can rep focus, then I think you'd be like, Hey, how much do I think I can get out of this company? Like it could be a function of how many employees there are, right? So how many, like if my software is something that can be widely adopted, well, your audience, potential audience within that company is a key attribute or the type of company. Are they going to need certain features that we don't have because you know certain different compliance things you want to disqualify them? So I think the way to, so once you figured out what, what from a product usage standpoint looks like a good customer, then the, the other thing, the priority and say the filtering you put on it is what's this customer fit, right? So that's sort of the more quintessential standard, like, hey, are they the right ICP? Do I have the right people in the software? Can they make the purchase? And those are the types of questions you need to be asking yourself. But if you really have this, so many things that you need to be filtering it, the question is, should you just have more people working on it, right? And so yeah. you want to make sure that you're filtering out the ones that are just, the ones that probably should be kept self-serve and not worth a, a sales conversation from the standpoint of, it's not that these customers aren't valuable as customers as, you know, because I, I, I love, I mean, all customers to me are great, but at the end of the day, you're running a business, you have to pay salespeople, there are real costs involved. And so whatever that salesperson is making, are they able to generate revenue for the company? Right. Okay. I like that. So how would you differentiate between like, okay, this person should self-serve, this person should have a salesperson reach out to them? Really the equation you're doing is like potential revenue this could generate. So you first obviously want to be talking to the most important people are the actively engaged big companies that fit your ICP. Next, actually, you could say lightly engaged big companies may be the next thing. You might want not want to go to like highly engaged small companies. The next segment of a quadrant might be like, hey, these are big companies with lighter usage. And but maybe, you know, because it represents a bigger potential, you want to go after it and try to figure it out. The last sort of quadrant I think of is like small company high usage. That's like, hey, because maybe we have a plan for them. Maybe they won't be huge, but maybe they're medium sized. But if you are, the last quadrant is small, no usage, no worth talking to them, right? So I kind of like to think of it in these four quadrants, high usage, big company, number one, medium, low usage, big company, two, zone three is uh, high usage, small company. And then the last is low usage, low company. That just makes no sense. Okay. That should be self-serve, right? That's where you'd like, hey, maybe they turn into one of those things, but like don't engage from a, a human standpoint. Yeah, I think it like all goes down to that equation you mentioned. Is to like, what is the potential revenue here? If we do apply a little extra of a helping hand to this, which brings us to the next question, which is, when does it make sense to have sales reach out? Like you mentioned the inverse of this question too, which is like, when does it like, or why do they want to talk to you? <laughs> which is, I think like, that's a hard question <laughs> yeah, to answer. Yeah, like, yeah. why do they? Uh, because I know why I want to talk to them, but... <laughs> Thinking about it yeah. in inverse is important. Yeah, I think when you think about like why you want to talk to a company is yeah. can they adopt help me? One, can they build a relationship? Because like humans do want to buy from humans, especially when the deal size is larger, right? So when you're building that long-term relationship, you often want to have a human. If it's a small contract, yeah, you just like yeah. add my credit card, great. But if I'm building something and, and you're gonna be a key part of my stack, I want to have some human relationship. I want to know when something's yeah. good. Up, I want to talk to someone too. Can they teach me things I don't know? An end user is not who's just adopting some software is not an expert. So can they answer the question or get me the resources I need? So it's really about like one, building that relationship, but two, like, hey, how can they accelerate it? How can they 
quick awareness. But I think the most important thing for the company when you're thinking about it is by building that relationship, there's less likelihood of them to drop out of your sales process and be working with one of your competitors. And I think it's like one of those things, and, and this is definitely hard to measure, but like B2B SaaS is just so incredibly competitive that I think building that relationship through the sales process, you can say, eh, my product's just gonna take care of itself. It may some of the time, but by reducing, you can reduce risk, increase deal side, and increase the speed of the deal by having a human engaged. So, right. Okay. Yeah. So I guess it's more so like build trust in that sense, uh, have them reach out, show them some of the use cases, and ultimately just get to understand their goals so you can get them there faster. Is that a fair recap? Yeah. Or? Basically, like, yeah. It's like basically that, how can I help? You know, kind of that, that quintessential thing. Always like, be helping. Okay. <laughs> Always be helping. Yeah. It's like yeah. when I'm using a product, Maybe there's some things that are frustrating me. I'm like, hey, I can't do this thing. Oh, that thing. Oh, that's a comment. Here's how you do it, right? Oh, sorry. Inspire products. Here's how you do it. Or, oh, I don't know the answer. Let me get that for you. It just sort of, you know, helps speed things along. Okay. Awesome. So that's, I think for like the test step, it's really just answering a lot of questions. Like who's not a fit? Who should self-serve? Who should we actually like outreach to? And then what are some of those requirements for like, when should sales like reach out to people? And then what are yeah some of those ones that we should definitely not consider based on your quadrant of like, what's the potential revenue there? Is there anything else you'd recommend people really consider when it comes to like, just testing this as, you know, a V1, like something quick? I mean, fundamentally, I think it's kind of all packed into this, but can this motion generate the revenue that you yeah. expect out of the effort you're going to be putting into in, in humans and other resources? And so it can feel good to close customers or talk to customers, but if they're not the right size deal, you shouldn't be doing it. There's probably lots of great learning. So that's why a test is great, right? Lots of great learning in the process. But if you say, hey, actually through this process, I'm talking to a lot of people, but that, you know, their ACV is 1K and like, that's just not like for a rep to pay back their salary four times. How many deals are they going to have to do? Oh, crap, that's just not going to work. Yeah. I need to be yielding 5K, 10K deals out of this. Hey, how can I do that? Does this work? Or what's the right thing? So I, I think there is, as you're thinking about scaling it up, is is this thing yielding the right sort of deals, both for now and the long term? Totally. So like, what would, based on the companies you've worked with as well, what is like a fair, like, ah, this is like working very successfully. You mentioned like a couple like rules of thumb, like, okay, we're paying this salesperson this salary. Is it generating like a 4X return on that? That's fair, I guess, if you start this with one kind of person running the test, that you could easily do so that. In the, in the test thing, I think it's like, yeah. I think it would be uh, dangerous to, to like, try to like make the perfect equation. I think the test totally. is about the test is about learning. Like, what are the sales conversations like? Do they move faster? Are we able to increase the deal size? Are we talking to be able to like talk to the right customer? Like out of doing it, what are we getting out of it? And so I think it's that you're getting both quantitative, but as like the key thing of that test, you're getting a bunch of qualitative understanding. So it really takes a certain mindset of like, you're figuring out what I've been calling like a route to market. You need to feel like you have these about like, but what can you do with it? So maybe you discover like, hey, get a lot of people, but like, they're just going to be buying the pricing plan that is on our thing. And we don't have a skew to sell them. That makes my job worthwhile. Oh, interesting. How do we think about packaging as a result? Because you may uncover other things you need to tweak in your process such that this motion makes sense. But there's so much good learning in that test. So right. you, I think you just have to do it and not try to like come up with the, oh, I need to satisfy this perfect equation. It's a lot more like you're an explorer. Yeah. The sales team that's figuring this out, this is like a bold experiment to figure out what's possible and bring back to the organization like, hey, here are my needs to turn this into like a successful motion. 
Yeah. And I'm glad you like mentioned that too, because I have seen other companies where it's like they will launch this motion early and set these very unrealistic like revenue targets right from the get-go. And then it's just immediately deemed like, oh, it's uh, unsuccessful. <laughs> and yeah, this thing just doesn't work. And it's like, yeah. well, if you had given it the time and didn't set such high bars on like what this is going to generate right away, then yeah, there is. You, you have to be willing to fail. So your experiments could fail. Right. So what are you comfortable with failing? So don't distract the whole organization. How can you carve off a calculated test to do this? And then like, no, it could fail. But like, that's the importance of like experimenting is the willingness to try is also accepting the possibility that it's failed, but also saying like, you're going to learn in the process and maybe you iterate and then you find the right because you never figure it out right away. It's an ongoing uh, process. Totally. Okay. So first step is vetting this motion. Second is testing it. And then third I imagine it'd be like scaling it up or what do you call it something else? Like what would be the next step here? Yeah, I mean, so I think there's in sort of the explorer mindset, it's like you find the thing, it's working. So then, yeah, how do I, what I've found, how do I like sort of scale it up and systematize it so that one, maybe we can have a more diverse set of reps because like not everyone's an explorer, figure it out. Some people want like more standardization and process. So like, how would I take all the learnings and figuring out that those sort of those initial reps figuring out, and then how do I systematize it to scale it? Because if you're, you know, everyone wants to be like a a multi-thread, like I I can do everything. Finding those people who are good at everything is impossible. So, but how do you put in place the systems and processing and the tooling such that, that humans can scale within it. And so once you've got that sort of thing working, Maybe there are other, depending on the size of your self-serve funnel, maybe there are other pockets within there, whether it's selling into existing accounts. Maybe you have existing accounts that you, you're finding, okay, let's now find the upsell motion. Maybe you'll find other types of PQLs that uh, in your initial self-serve funnel. Whatever it is, I think there's the opportunity, if you have a large funnel, to then go on and say, what are the additional things within the self-serve funnel? Or move on to say, hey, how do I identify upsell opportunities in a similar way? Okay. So those are the so, things. What scale are, and figure out the next experiment. Because if you found something that works, there could be other things in there that you want to have that same sort of adventure or mindset, go try to figure yeah. it out while this other thing is being systematized and scaled and measured. And then you can have those more tough equations of like, hey, is there a payback on this? And what do I need? And then it becomes more like an engine that you're trying to tweak and tune. What are the right inputs? What are the right outputs? Yeah. And I, I like that too, because one of the things we were talking about before we even went uh, live here was the effort of like, okay, even when it comes to like defining your PQL or protocol value, it's like, yeah, just start with something that feels like generally in the right direction of like someone getting value <laughs> and yeah. then iterate over time. Because yeah, I have seen like companies spend you know, months and months and months and months, like just trying to like nail this down. It's like, it doesn't matter as much as you think of it, like nailing it right off the bat. It is important to start somewhere and then just have yeah. that ongoing progress. Yep, exactly. One of the, I'll give you an example. One of the things that that, that Twilio uh, between uh, the sales and finance team together figured out was like trying to figure out the propensity to buy and looked at different cohorts of people with like different mi- product mixes and different dollar thresholds and figured out, hey, if somebody spends over, I don't remember the exact numbers, but like somebody spends over $100 in their first month or in their first three months, the likelihood of them becoming a 10K customer in a year's time is X. Anyone below 100, it's much lower hey, it's some proxy of usage, like let's go after it. And then they could further subdivide a bit, hey, based on their product mix. So anyone who has a broad platform is like, in case Twilio could be messaging and voice and like, oh, do those have different profiles? Okay, if somebody's using messaging in this way, that's one play we run. Hey, if somebody's using this way, that's one play to run. 
And then let's say you nail those down, yeah. talking about like the upsell, like, okay, somebody's using voice. How do we get them to use messaging? Oh, somebody's using messaging. How do we get them to use voice? And so the, then those start to be the other plays you start testing and trying to run. But there is some science there trying to figure out what's that right threshold of below this, not worth it, above this, worth it. Right. What are some of the most common mistakes you see companies make where it's like they're trying to scale it up and it's just like, okay, this shouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah, I think the challenge in the scale-up process is really thinking about the human part. So like, again, that that notion of who the person is, the, the type of people who are the figure-out people versus the scale people, I think are different people. Mm-hmm. And then what the needs of those people, what are the system, the processes? Hey, here are the playbooks we're on. Here's the suggested messaging. Hey, check this, this, and this. And so make it more repeatable. I think when you're figuring out your first product-led sales motion, it's just, you're just figuring it out and you're like, there's no set playbook. You're kind of making it up as you go along. But to scale anything, that doesn't scale because you're relying on people who are like uniquely good at something. So I think the failure is not putting in the right place, the right process, the training, the continued training. And like, and then one, keeping those the nice and well, the interesting thing I think about it is those plays need to evolve with time. They're not static. Like, yeah, maybe maybe it works for a quarter or, or two quarters, but maybe something changes in your product or somebody changes in the, the market. Or and then you have to kind of update and reinvest in it. But I think those are the types of things that I see. It's one, how do you processize, systematize so that you can scale it out across other humans? Two, how do you respond to changes in your own product and the market at large? Okay. Can you like take us through like a typical process of, you know, maybe that like first team, they're in the testing phase, they find a play that like really works. And then from the, the initial of like, how do you create that process? Or maybe identifying it's pretty straightforward as far as like, hey, this is clearly working whenever we deploy this play. But then going from that to scaling it up, uh, how does that typically work for most companies? Going from like the initial this thing works to then scaling this out? Or that specific like product-led sales play, let's say. So like you figured something out and now scale it up. Yeah, like maybe it's like a yeah. outreach sequence or it's like, okay, when people do this feature and we reach out or they get to like this usage limit of like 100 conversations and we reach out, these things work really well. How do we scale up this play for so, more people to utilize it? Yeah, yeah. two things is that the thing about is one is like just the structure and the, the training around it. Like what are you putting in front of the people? Two, I do think is the tooling, right? So if, like if your play is spread across a bunch of different things, data is a bunch of different places, Again, you may have done that when you're in the figure out discover mode of how you scale it up is, I think that's the one reason why we're excited about what we're building is like, hey, we can put this all into one place so you can have the knowledge, see the play, take the action. So that makes it, that sort of speaks to like, hey, and I need to make this efficient and easy to use. And so I do think about like, not for a shameless product about a product, but just in general, like you need to make it easy both by like, clearly what people need to do, but also how they do it. If you're jumping across a bunch of tools, it requires proficiency. Hey, yes, go into our BI tool and run this report. It's just not going to scale. It's not scalable in any way. So I think that that to me is a key failure. And then the other thing is just measurement. So as you're scaling it, as scaling, that's when you're starting to invest the real dollars. And so you need to, it goes from an experiment to the start of a business. Uh, that's when you need to really start like, okay, understanding how the play or multiple plays are performing. And then by rep understanding like, hey, how is Thomas doing versus Wes? Wes is nailing it. Thomas is not. Is it just Thomas getting a bad, mm-hmm. uh, you know, bad bunch of leads? Or is it Thomas not trained appropriately? What is it, right? So I think when you move from an experimentation phase to a scale phase, you need to sort of 
really kind of sharp, you know, sharpen what you're looking at and then sharpen how you execute. Awesome. I totally agree. Now, as we kind of like wrap up, what's like maybe your number one tip you'd recommend for companies who are just thinking about like starting this product-led sales motion? Yeah. So I think two things. It's like depending on... Actually, I think it's relatively the same same advice, but company size matters. So if you're a big company, it way more matters that there's this top-down initiative alignment cross-functionally because if there isn't, it's going to be really frustrating. The nice thing that I'm seeing is Two years ago, when I was talking about this, you're like, oh, I don't know. And like, it was fragmented. Now you talk to companies like, yes, it's an initiative. It's a priority. We want to figure it out. Those companies are going to be successful because somebody has said, this is a priority. Let's align around it. Because to do product-led sales, probably you need product, you need marketing, you need sales. You need them in harmony, right? Uh, and you need to align on things. So that, that's the most important thing. For a startup figuring it out, there's just gonna you're, you're figuring out so many things in the process, so it's not gonna be smooth. It's not, you're probably just figuring out sales, and I'd say like don't try to do multiple. I'm trying to do top down, bottoms up, uh, self. I'm, I'm trying to do like okay, you got to figure out like what's right for your product and try to layer on things one at a time. Get successful at it, but if you're trying to do big enterprise sales at the same time, trying to do these bottoms, you're likely gonna fail. You really need to focus, and I think. Hey, if you got a big inbound funnel, like product-led sales is the great foundation on which to build your company. You can always layer in mm-hmm. enterprise. Basically, any of these breakaway successes, product-led companies, all started with sort of a bottoms-up motion that sort of moved to like a, a product-led sales motion, just wasn't called that, and then layered in enterprise. Because enterprise often requires the maturity of the product, of team, all other stuff. So don't try to do multiple of those things at once you're just going to fail. And so just focus on making product-led sales successful and then build on that success. Totally. Well, that's awesome recommendations. And where can uh, people find out more about what you're up to? So you can go to uh, Calixa.io to learn more about us or search Calixa on Google. You'll find us. Thomas Schivoni on basically every social media platform. So you can find me there, <laughs> LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever. And yeah, we'd love to love to hear from you. I, think I said something smart, said something stupid. Always love feedback and love to talk. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much. It's been awesome. Likewise. Thank you for listening to the Product-Led Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a colleague or friends you know who might benefit. We are always looking at which episodes get the most listens so we know which content to create more of. So if you want more of this particular type of content or style of episode, please share it out. And in return, here's your selfish reason to do this. Uh, We will definitely create more content just like this episode. (laughs) And if that's not your style, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell us your favorite part about this podcast. I personally read every single one of these reviews and it gives me more ideas on what content we should do more of. Happy growing.